ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Good morning and welcome to AM. It's Wednesday the 27th of December. I'm Kim Landers, coming to you from Gadigal Land in Sydney. At least six people are dead in Queensland and Victoria after storms swept across the eastern states. And in Queensland, several people are still missing, while tens of thousands of others in the southeast remain without power. Elizabeth Cramsey reports. Powerful electrical storms swept across southeast Queensland over the Christmas period, bringing with them strong winds and torrential rains. They also brought tragedy for some families. The body of a nine-year-old girl was found in the southern Brisbane suburb of Rochdale South last night after she went missing in a flooded storm drain. Further inland at Gympie, one woman died, one is missing and another made it to safety after the trio were inside a large drain that washes into the Mary River. In Moreton Bay off Brisbane's coast, eight people were rescued after a boat capsized early yesterday evening. The body of one person was found a short time later and two people remain missing. Across the southeast, trees and power lines have been brought down by destructive winds. QFES Deputy Commissioner Kevin Walsh has warned the recovery will take a few days. A lot of the trees that have come down are huge in terms of removal, so one job may take several hours for the SES teams to come in with their chainsaws and remove them and then obviously get trucks to remove them. So it will take some time, it will take a few days, but the State Emergency Service will be out on the ground until the job's done. Storms also struck further south. In a caravan park in Kiama on the New South Wales south coast, torrents of water have threatened campers. Emergency crews have made dozens of rescues in recent days. Andrew Edmonds is from the New South Wales SES. Those included a family in a caravan park at Tarthra and also on the Kings Highway at Manar, where our two people were in a broken down vehicle, which was uh, quickly uh, found itself submerged in uh, fast rising water. Emergency crews have been on high alert, their resources stretched to cope with the demand. It has been an incredibly busy Christmas period for our SES volunteers. We've had about 1,100 members active since Christmas Eve uh, in all parts of the state, uh, from the Northern Rivers right down to the Victorian border. Uh, to our inland communities with, you know, what we've seen this Christmas has been a white Christmas of intense hail. Dangerous weather in Victoria has so far claimed two lives. In Buchan in East Gippsland, the body of a woman was found in floodwaters yesterday afternoon. And it's not over with more storms forecast today. Peter Clarsen is from the Bureau of Meteorology. We are on an easing trend uh, to this severe weather and severe thunderstorm outbreak, thankfully. Um, We do expect at least another day of some severe storms in Victoria. So for today, uh, we do expect uh, eastern Victoria to be a bit more in the firing line uh, of severe thunderstorms. Uh, Again, expecting the main danger of those severe storms to be heavy rainfall. Several Victorian rivers, including the Snowy, Werribee and Avoca rivers, are subject to flood warnings. Waters have subsided in far north Queensland, but the clean-up is revealing the huge cost of flooding there. John Mountford has contacted his insurance company about his flood-ravaged home in Caravonica. They said six months. Yeah, so um, anywhere up to six months. And look, you know, the assessor was here very, very briefly, mate. Took minimal photos, gave us, you know, that um, first step sort of advice, which is sanitisation, making sure... 
um, you know, anything that might um, spawn mould-wise and bacteria-wise is, is killed. That, that'll happen at some point once the walls are, um, you know, removed. And then, you know, from then on, it's, you know, um, measuring up you know, kitchens, bathrooms potentially, and and then builders fit out. Hundreds of homes in the Cairns area were damaged in flooding before Christmas. Elizabeth Cramsey. Israel's Defence Minister is warning of a growing risk of regional conflict in the Middle East, declaring Israel is being attacked from seven different fronts, including Gaza, Lebanon, Syria and Iran. It coincides with the warning from Israel's army chief that the war with Hamas in Gaza will continue for many more months. Gavin Cook reports. At a hospital in southern Gaza, Palestinians are gathering and praying for loved ones lost in an Israeli airstrike. Hanan Shat is among those who lost multiple relatives. This is a powerless state. If they possessed the strength and value, they wouldn't attack defenceless civilians in their homes. Instead, they should confront the resistance, not the people sheltering in their homes. They are powerless individuals lacking both will and might, bullying defenceless people. May God avenge them. Gaza's health ministry says nearly 21,000 Palestinians have been killed since October 7, with Israel vowing to continue fighting until it crushes Hamas. IDF chief Herzi Halevi flagging the war will go on for many months and that there are no shortcuts in dismantling the militant group and the conflict could be expanding. Israel's Defence Minister Yoav Gallant has warned the country is in a multi-arena war. We are being attacked from seven different sectors. Gaza, Lebanon, Syria, Judea and Samaria, Iraq, Yemen and Iran. We have already responded and taken action of these sectors. And I say here in the most explicit way, anyone who acts against us is a potential target. There is no immunity for anyone. It follows a spike in activities by Hezbollah and other Iran-backed militias in the region. The United States says it's now launched airstrikes into Iraq in response to an attack on an American airbase. Yemen's Iranian-backed Houthi militant group is continuing to carry out drone attacks in the Red Sea. Benti Scheller is a Middle East analyst with the Heinrich Boll Foundation. She's told Deutsche Welle there's still hope the conflict can be contained. All the messages that we have seen from the other states in the region are not prone to escalate the situation. If we may look at Hezbollah, for example, which is maybe the mightiest power directly on Israel's borders, they have practiced considerable restraint. There have been skirmishes, there have been attacks cross-border. However, I think we see really a strategy of Hezbollah and Iran not to escalate. The big question is whether Iran will become directly involved. So I think Iran has the potential to manipulate powers that are outside of its borders, but then can enhance the tension with Israel. But I think an all-out confrontation is not in Iran's interest. Israel has the might to hit Iran in a way that really would hurt and harm the Iranian potential. And so far, I don't think that Iran wants to risk losing all that. Iran has warned Israel it will pay for its aggression. Gavin Coote reporting. Russia has confirmed one of its warships has been damaged in a Ukrainian airstrike at a port in Russian-occupied Crimea. One person has been killed. Ukraine claims the large landing ship has been destroyed in the attack. Michelle Rimmer reports. 
In the early hours of Monday morning, Ukrainian cruise missiles struck Fedosia port in Russian-occupied Crimea. Video footage posted on social media appears to show a large fireball exploding over the Black Sea port. Shocked residents watch in horror before running for cover. Spokesperson for the Ukrainian Air Force Yuri Inat claims a large Russian landing ship called the Novichokask was destroyed in the explosion. The operation was planned by the armed forces and other security forces. A warship was destroyed, most likely a warship with a set of ammunition, powerful one. Russia says the ship was only damaged, not destroyed, and that one person was killed and another two injured in the blast. The naval ship carries tanks and armoured vehicles and is used to land Russian troops ashore. The strike will likely impact Moscow's ability to resupply troops and weaken its Black Sea fleet, which is used to block Ukraine's main export route throughout the war. In a public address following the airstrike, Russia's Defence Minister Sergei Shoigu chose to instead focus on Russia's so-called successes in 2023. He claims Russia has stopped Ukraine's counter-offensive. The main efforts of the past year were focused on achieving the goals of the special military operation. The main one was to disrupt the counter-offensive of the Ukrainian armed forces. This task has been successfully completed. The Russian army constantly occupies more advantageous positions and expands the territories under its control in all directions. The long-awaited Ukrainian counter-offensive has so far failed to retake significant ground from Russia causing frustration within the Ukrainian military and prompted calls for the mobilisation of up to 500,000 more troops. Ukraine's top army general, Valery Zhiluzhny, says reforms to the army draft program are needed. As for the local draft officers, as of now, frankly speaking, I'm not currently satisfied with the work of the draft officers. If we get people thanks to electronic call-ups, it will be very good. A draft law outlining reforms to Ukraine's army draft program includes lowering the age of men that can be mobilised from 27 to 25. This is Michelle Rimmer reporting for AM. And thanks for your company on AM, where it's 20 minutes past seven. If you've been caught in storms or floods and the power goes out, mobile phone networks often go down too. And unlike when you're overseas, there's no roaming where you can hop on to another network. But as Isabel Masali reports, government and industry are working to introduce mobile roaming for emergencies. In November, millions of Optus customers lost access to the network for several hours. It plunged many lives into chaos as they couldn't communicate with their families or do essential tasks like pay bills. Optus blames a service upgrade for their outage and says it's paid compensation to customers who were affected. But how would you cope with an outage to your telco, which lasted six days? Gift shop owner Brianna Mack puts it politely. Everyone runs off a mobile now and, yeah, it's not ideal. Her town of Bingra in northern New South Wales recently experienced a Telstra mobile outage caused by a faulty part. I had to close my doors as I solely run off the Wi-Fi network um, and mobile tower and I was not able to contact my children's local schools. She eventually drove to another town and bought Optus SIM cards. It's not the first time the town's lost service. Something needs to be done and I think especially in the emergency situation, 
we are on the river and if that damn wall were to break, how are people to get notice? If you make a triple zero call in Australia, your mobile will tap into any carrier in the area, even if you're not a customer. That's not the case for regular calls, text or data use. An inquiry into the 2022 Lismore floods recommended cross-carrier roaming arrangements in future emergencies. After finding people struggled to communicate with loved ones, access post-emergency information and request flood rescues. Associate Professor Mark Gregory is a telecommunications expert at RMIT University. There are people that come to help when there's emergencies, such as uh, charities. Now, all of these um, organisations need access to telecommunications and you can't guarantee that they're going to be able to um, go into an area uh, with a mobile phone that will connect to the network in that area. Domestic roaming uh, should solve that problem. A few months ago, consumer watchdog the ACCC found this is technically feasible. The federal government has ordered further work with industry to find out how to make it a reality. And this summer, Telstra is running lab tests. A spokesperson told the ABC it will underpin the future ability for people to use any available mobile network during natural disasters if their own provider's network has been impacted or doesn't have coverage. Dr Gregory says it will make a difference even in locations thought to be dominated by one carrier. If there was a problem with the Telstra network, you know, they may find that there's um, Vodafone or Optus nearby. Um, we're likely to see in about three years from now, you know, a situation where we're able to connect with uh, new mobile phones that haven't been released yet to the low Earth orbit satellites such as Starlink. A report on the potential introduction of emergency mobile roaming is expected by March. Isabel Masali reporting. It's an all too familiar problem for people living in rural and regional Australia. The scarcity of doctors and other health professionals in remote parts of the country can leave locals struggling to access the services they need. But at this time of the year, the problem gets even worse as many medicos go on holidays, as Nick Grimm reports. Dr Claire Walker is a senior medical officer based at Longreach in central West Queensland. And these holidays she'll be on duty with responsibility for a region that covers around one third of the state. So I'll be on duty pretty much every day in December. A lot just on call, but having to be available to come in. Longreach's population usually swells during the winter months as hordes of grey nomads visit, making it the busiest time for local medicos. And when it's quieter in the summer, they take the chance to have a break, although those who are still on deck have their hands full. So we'll have a lot of farming accidents with um, run-ins with beasts or other wildlife like snakes and you know, hitting kangaroos. And then the range, you know, lots of kids' accidents, so just, you know, trampolines and, again, motorbikes. But groups like the Consumers Health Forum of Australia warn that too many sick and injured people will find it difficult to access the healthcare they need over the holiday period. Chief Executive Dr Elizabeth Devaney. Well, the Christmas shutdown, it highlights a wider medical workforce issue So every day of the year, people in regional and rural parts of Australia struggle to get good health care. And when their health care teams take a well-earned break, this really exacerbates what is often for people very difficult, that is, trying to find health care. And I suppose for people in regional and rural areas, we're probably a bit used to not having that really quick, easy, ready supply 
as much as people in the city. Leonie Short has spent years living in regional Queensland and knows how hard it can be to get to see a doctor. I actually am more worried for the tourists and family members. Quite often there'll be people travelling to rural areas for a Christmas holiday or to visit family and they're not as prepared as the locals for something that might go wrong. But there's concern too that doctors in remote areas can often feel pressured not to take time off if they know their local areas will be left without care. Dr Rachel Christmas is a rural GP and New South Wales president of the Rural Doctors Association. Uh, you know, you speak to people say, oh, I haven't had a holiday for years. And you know, that's a really difficult situation because their families miss out on them a lot during the year when they're really preoccupied with their workload, which is excessive in most cases. So much so that Dr Christmas is wishing this year for greater incentives to encourage more medicos to live and work in rural and regional Australia to help relieve the workforce shortages. Nick Grimm reporting. Efforts to revive underwater ecosystems on Sydney Harbour are starting to reap rewards for scientists who've pioneered specially designed seawall panels. The concrete panels have little rock pools and other crevices, creating habitats for all sorts of underwater creatures. Reporter David Sparks takes a look. A bit more, a bit more. OK. As a 60-kilogram panel is lowered by rope into the water under a wharf, Two wetsuit-clad workers are manoeuvring it onto one of the pylons. Yeah, down, down, down. Nice. One of the men in the water here at Sawmillers Reserve is Alex Code from Reef Design Lab, which makes these panels. I mean, to be honest, this is the first time we've installed this module. But yeah, I mean, look, that's the first panel we've done and that's already pretty successful. These panels are rectangular. They're just over a metre tall and 35 centimetres wide, with a curve so that they can fit snugly onto the round wooden pylon. But what's really special are the small rock pools mouldered into the face, pointing upward. On a high tide, they're underwater, and as the tide drops, they're in the air. But those little rock pools still hold water so that life can flourish. Rock pools are extremely important for marine organisms because they provide water at low tide. Running this project called Living Seawalls is Dr Aria Lee. So it stops a lot of organisms from drying out and when they're completely underwater they provide a lot of habitat for small fish uh, which uh, escape from predators. The team has completed 14 other projects around Sydney Harbour and as it turns out the first wall they built five years ago is also here in Sawmillers Reserve. It's 11 metres long, 1.8 metres tall, and it's made up of 72 interlocking panels. And it's now covered with thousands of oysters. That's right, they are <laughs> completely covered in oysters, so much so that uh, on some of the panels you can't really tell which design we've used because the oysters are just completely covering it. So to me, that looks like Operation Successful, looking at all those oysters. Yes, it is extremely successful. So from what we've found um, from our biodiversity surveys of the area is that uh, we can really increase the biodiversity in the area just by providing more habitat for the marine organisms to live. But it also provides a service for us in that while they're filtering the water, they're cleaning it for us. OK, nice. You could probably tie it off there. The success of these projects is spreading overseas. Dr Aria Lee says the team has installed walls in Peru, Singapore, Europe 
and it has another job coming up in the US city of Boston. We are losing a lot of natural habitat because of urbanisation and building cities and building harbours. What we can do is enhance those structures and enhance them to benefit both humans and the natural environment. Dr Aria Lee from Living Seawalls, ending that report by David Sparks. And that is AM for today. Thanks for your company. I'm Kim Landers.